scripture reading will be from 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us through new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith or greater worth than, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. On 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible, you might turn over to 1 Peter. Also, let me tell you that we have our Discovery Bible Study bookmarks available now. They're out in the lobby if you want a hard copy of that. If you aren't able to get up here and get one of those, then you can go to our website, edmundchurchofchrist.com. Under resources, you can find this bookmark and all of our sermon series DBS bookmarks there. Again, as I do often, let me encourage you to take the time to sit down with others, whether it's in person or online, and Open up God's Word together. Discovery Bible study is a great tool, a great way to do that. And so let me encourage you to make that an effort, to make that effort uh, either in your home or with your friends or someone in class with you or people at work, people who don't know Christ maybe. Use it as an outreach opportunity as we work to make disciples. And so those resources are available. I'm especially excited about this series in light of some of the events that unfolded this past week at our nation's capital. Because in many ways, this series will reinforce our identity, I hope. This series will remind us of who we really are and what is most important to us. It will call us back to our true home, our true citizenship. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he said, but our citizenship is in where? Heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And notice he didn't say, but our citizenship will be in heaven. That is true, and we long for the day that we will live with Jesus for all of eternity. But he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Even right here, right now, we are citizens first and foremost of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's so important for us to remember that because that informs not only our identity, it informs how we live, how we function, how we act and interact with others. Many of us think about heaven as something that is in the distant future. It is a future reality. And let's be honest, sometimes we, we tend to want to prolong that reality, don't we? I mean, I want to go to heaven, but I want to live here first. I want to enjoy this life first. There's so much I want to do. There's so much I want to experience. And so, yes, heaven is great, but I'm not quite ready for it yet. And Paul says, you are in it. No, this world, this fallen world is not heaven. We know that. But he says, you are a citizen of heaven. That is your allegiance that is the nature of your true homeland. And you may be here right now for a short time. And yes, you have to live in this world, but that's not who you are. And that's not your true home. I've been thinking this past week, 
and really over the past several weeks, occasionally about the future and how we will look back on this time period that we find ourselves in right now. I mean, can you imagine one day maybe explaining this to your kids or grandkids? You know, why, Grandpa, why is this time period, 2020, 2021, why is that such a thick part of our history books? (laughs) I don't know, probably by then they don't even have history books. We probably don't even have history books now. I don't even know. (laughs) Probably all virtual or online or I don't know. But can you imagine trying to explain some of the things that are happening in our world right now as we think about that in a retrospective perspective? (laughs) It's going to be interesting. And I know that you're like me. And as I look back on what happened in our nation's capital this past week and some of the things that unfolded there, it is truly disturbing. It is disappointing, to say the least. And there are so many talking points now as, as people try to process it and the media is, is, is sort of, you know, putting it under a microscope and water cooler conversations at work are happening and there's so many talking points and, and right now the, the thing is to, to sort of point fingers, right? Who's responsible? And maybe, maybe there's a different approach. I'd like to ask you to view this event, these things, and maybe all the things that have happened throughout this past year, and you know, will continue to happen. They are inevitable. We will have social issues. We will have political issues, whatever you want to call them, to view those as an opportunity to look inward, to be reflective, and not to be so quick to point fingers maybe, but to say, what am I, what am I contributing? What is my response? And really to use it as an opportunity to look inward so that you see what is at the very core of my being, What is it that is my top priority? What do I value most? Because I can assure you, whatever the answer to that question is, is what is formulating and informing your thoughts, words, actions, responses, and reactions. And so maybe this is an opportunity, yet another opportunity, for us to look inward and say, what is going on in my heart and my mind? What is my response, the Christian response, a faithful response, the response of someone whose citizenship is first and foremost in heaven, not on earth? What is the response? You know, I think as citizens of America, our instinct, our first instinct, our natural instinct is to defend or to demand But as citizens of heaven, our first instinct, our natural instinct, must be to declare the kingdom of God. To be the ones who don't just pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but to be the ones who try to embody that prayer, who try to bring heaven to earth, to represent the kingdom of God, the values of God, the priorities of God, and his kingdom here on earth, because that's who we are. That's who he's called us to be. Paul says, you are citizens of heaven, not just someday, but right now. No matter where you live, that's where you belong. In our world, There is lots of chaos right now, isn't there? Is our nation divided? Yeah, it seems so. Is there chaos and conflict and and just so many things going on? Yeah, yeah, there are. 
to say that there are not those things happening would, would be naive, I think. And so what is our response? What is our response to everything going on in our world? Well, we can choose a side and jump into the muck and post the propaganda and spew the rhetoric that actually makes us look a lot like the people of the world whose citizenship is in the world. And, by the way, in so doing, misrepresent the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to a world that desperately needs to know the good news. Or, we can take a different approach. We can see all this chaos as an opportunity, an opportunity for a hurting world to find what they need most, Jesus. And we as Christians can make the deliberate and conscious choice to be united, not divided, to be united in declaring what is most important and who we are and to be instruments and ambassadors of Christ to share the gospel in this world. Now, does that mean that Christians don't have political beliefs? Does that mean that we don't have opinions about the economy? Does that mean that we don't try to get involved and make our communities and even our nation better? Of course not. But it does mean that all of those things and everything else bows in submission to the one who reigns eternal. Isn't that right, church? Everything else, everything else bows in submission to the one, the only one who reigns eternal, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It means the way of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection becomes most important to us. It is at our very core, which means the life and death, the teachings, the resurrection, the gospel, Jesus, that becomes what shapes our thoughts and words. Every thought is taken captive for Christ. Every word, every comment, every post runs through the filter of the example of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Every action, every interaction with someone else reflects the heart of Jesus. And the gospel is at our very core. Why? Why are we to live that way? Why are we to be different? Not better than, but different than the world. Because we are citizens of heaven. That's who we are. Not citizens of America. Not of a particular socioeconomic class or a political party or a suburb or even a race. We first and foremost belong to Christ. And that's the overriding message of 1 Peter. In his short letter, that is what Peter is trying to convey to these Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He wants them to know who they are. He wants them to have perspective because their world, like ours, is in chaos. They are on the outside looking in. I'm going to switch these.
sorry about that. We're trying to get to the bottom of this microphone thing. So far, it's just my magnetic personality or something. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a little frustrating, but we'll get there. So in this short letter, Peter is trying to help these Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire to understand who they are because in many ways they are on the outside looking in. They are being persecuted. They look at the world around them, the culture around them, the things happening around them, and they don't align with where they are. But it's more than just this passive observation of a culture that seems to be going down the drains. It is that they have become the target of this culture. The pagans are coming after them. They are persecuting them. They are treating them poorly. And so Peter says, let me remind you who you are. Let me help shape, inspired by the Holy Spirit, help shape this perspective in you so that you can deal with what's happening in this world. So you'll have a framework, a perspective that says, I know who I am despite where I live and what's happening to me what he says is I know life is difficult I know hope is in short supply but remember who you are and so actually a couple of times in this short letter he will use the word exiles and a couple of times he will use the word foreigners acknowledging who they are as Christians An exile is someone who recognizes that he or she is not living in their true home. They are away from home, no matter where they are. And that's the word that Peter uses to describe them. And I think by extension, us as Christians living in a world that is filled with chaos and conflict. And maybe the circumstances, specific circumstances, are different. But I think sometimes the feelings are the same. We don't belong here. But sometimes the difference is we feel like we should belong here. And we work to pursue this allegiance and this citizenship on earth rather than recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven. And really, in many ways, it does come down to our perspective. And so what you will notice is throughout this letter, that's what Peter is addressing, perspective. And I'll probably say that word a few times this morning because I think that's what he's trying to do is help us get that mindset of who we are. So he begins in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, identifying himself to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So right out of the gate, Peter acknowledges that these are unsettled Christians. Yes, these first century Christians, probably the second half of the first century here as he's writing, They are, in many ways, literal exiles. They are scattered about. But Peter is doing more than that here. There's more going on. He's using this term exiles metaphorically. He's saying, I recognize that you, as a Christian, as a faithful follower of Jesus, that you aren't where you belong, that you're not in your true homeland. And so, not just identifying who they are, but encouraging them, wherever you are, wherever you set up your tents, Don't drive those stakes too deeply into the ground. Whatever patch of God's green earth you're on, 
that's not your home. And once we realize that, once we begin with that perspective, that begins to influence how we act, how we react, how we respond. It begins to influence how we view the world around us, including how we act and how we live. And so in the very next chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, he will use that word again. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So again, he uses those terms, foreigners, exiles. Look around you, he says, don't live like the world lives because that's not who you are. You don't belong to the world, so don't live that way. Don't give in to your sinful desires. So once we grasp and embrace our identity as citizens of heaven, then again, that begins to impact and inform how we live and how we respond and how we view everything, including adversity, including difficult times. You see, our perspective informs our actions. And specifically, in what we're talking about, our perspective on where we are informs how we act where we are. And you know that's true in in social settings. You go to one particular social setting and you know the context. Or at least it doesn't take long to sort of get the context. You know things to say and maybe not to say and how to act and not act. Your perspective on where you are influences how you act. Some people, when they go to a hotel to stay a couple of nights, they unpack everything, right? There's two kinds of people. The kind of people who are in a hotel a couple of nights and they unpack everything, and then there are the wiser, more efficient people like me. See, my wife and I land on different sides of this. When we go to a hotel for a couple of nights... You know, I, I don't understand why you would move your things from a rectangle-shaped suitcase and put them in a rectangle-shaped drawer only to then, again, put them back into the suitcase when you're ready to go. Whereas my wife unpacks everything, puts it in the drawers, hangs it in the closets, puts everything in the bathroom, sets everything up, brings out a couple of plants and puts them out, <laughs> sets up shop, and then we're home. Our perspective on where we are influences how we act. And Peter knows that. And so he continues in verse 3, by shaping this perspective, this mindset, this framework, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so as he's shaping this perspective, what does he begin with? He begins with praise. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's a coincidence. What he's saying is, you have so much for which to be thankful. Praise God for these things that you have. Yeah, but Peter, have you looked around? Have you seen the chaos in our world? Have you seen what's going on? And Peter says, wait, let's start where we need to start. Let's start with God. You praise God. Okay, Peter, we'll go with you there. And why should we praise God? He says, because God has given you some things, some things that no one else can give you. What has he given us? He's given us this new birth 
You have a second chance at life. You're this new creation. What else? This living hope, this dynamic hope that doesn't depend upon your circumstances. You have hope that will not go away. It is living. It is dynamic. Okay, that sounds good. What else? This inheritance, this future inheritance that will never go away. It won't spoil. It won't fade. It won't decay. Look at all that God has done for you. So what is your response? Let's just sit around and complain about how the world is going down the tubes. No, your response is to praise God for what he has done for you. How is this possible? Verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what makes it possible. You see, any living hope we have, any sustainable hope we have, means that I am convinced that something's going to happen in the future, and that allows me to hang on. That allows me to be positive even when things around me seem so negative. This living hope is anchored in something that is going to happen, the salvation of my soul, eternal life. Well, how can I be convinced of something in the future? Because of something in the past something that has already happened. How can I be convinced that I will be raised from the dead to live eternal? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. See, that's what he's saying. You have these things, these wonderful blessings and gifts from God because and through the resurrection of Jesus. So, as a citizen of heaven, with this worldview, begin with praising God and acknowledging God for what he has done, for what he continues to do. See, we have this living hope that is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. Because God raised him, he will raise those who are in Christ. Now, Peter knows that they need to be equipped this way because Peter knows firsthand even that life can be difficult that if you live long enough, you're going to bump into crazy and chaos. And sometimes those things are going to negatively influence you. In other words, you're going to have hard times. And so Peter wants him to be equipped to be able to view those things with the right mindset so that those things don't just devastate their faith. So he's, he's taking them somewhere. And here he goes. Verse 6, and all this, and all these things that God has given you, all these things that God has done for you, all these things for which you praise God, we greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, there's that perspective again, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, from a worldly point of view, from the perspective of someone whose citizenship is first and foremost in this world, this sounds absurd, what Peter is saying here. Notice the words he uses, the phrases he uses. He says rejoicing. 
in this you greatly rejoice and then he talks about praise and glory and honor and then he says this inexpressible and glorious joy the greek word there actually means out of this world joy joy that transcends anything that this world can offer joy that is difficult for us to get our minds around it is out of this world otherworldly joy but notice he uses these words and phrases in the context of what suffering peter are you kidding how can we have inexpressible otherworldly joy when we're in the midst of trials and tough times that doesn't make sense you see from a worldly perspective it doesn't make sense I was out walking the other day. Evidently, that's what old people do who can't play basketball anymore for exercise. <laughs> so I was out walking, and I was in a neighborhood close to ours, and I, I walked in front of this house and looked, and they had some Christmas decorations in front of their house, and I thought, that is so appropriate. If there's ever something that depicts our world right now, that's it. I had to take a picture of it. Broken joy. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? That is so perfect. Broken joy. There are so many things in this world, especially right now it seems, that are trying to destroy our joy. And Peter comes along and he says, you can have joy not despite the trials, the tough times, the chaos, but you can have joy even because of them. That just doesn't sound right. How can that be true? Is Peter living in a different reality? Yes. He's living as a citizen of heaven. And so should we. We can find this inexpressible, otherworldly joy, even amid trials and through trials and suffering, because we know that God is still in control and that he is at work through these trials to shape us more and more into the image of his son. And as he does that, he embeds deeply within us this longing, this desire to be with him, this longing for our true home. You see, as exiles, when we gain perspective on this home, on where we are now, it begins to grow within us this desire for our true home. We long more and more for our true home. We begin to understand that, that while we are here, we must function in this world, but we're not defined by this world. We don't find our identity. Our greatest needs aren't met by this world. You see, the more heaven gets in us, the more we want to get in heaven. Sometimes maybe you've heard people say, heaven is becoming more real to me. And it's usually because they've lost loved ones or they've gone through difficult times and it shapes their perspective on this life, this life that offers so much promise, so much happiness. And then the more you live and the more your faith grows and the more the Spirit of God works on developing and refining that faith, you realize there's gotta be more. (laughs) There's gotta be more. And you have this longing, this growing longing for heaven. I remember as a child at church, you know, the old guy up front would pray, Lord, come quickly. 
Lord, we can't wait to be with you in heaven. And I'd be, wait a second. I'm just a kid. You've lived your life. Let me live my life. But the more we experience life in this fallen world, the more we long for something more. Isn't that true? And the more those around us that we love are victimized and ultimately their lives are over, the more heaven becomes real because we want to see them again and we want to be with Jesus. But if I live embracing the privilege, the possessions, the 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 things of this world, the prosperity that I think I'm entitled to, then you know what? Heaven can wait. Just like when I was a kid. I got a lot of living to do. Heaven can wait. Peter says it's like precious gold. He uses this metaphor of gold being refined by fire to remove its impurities. I think it's a good metaphor to remind us that, that fire is, is difficult but it does good work. And God uses those trials. He uses that suffering to open our eyes, to instill in us this longing for home, to refine our faith. But here's what we need to know. God doesn't force that on us. God doesn't force the fires to refine our faith. We have a role in that. We can choose that. Again, it comes down to perspective. How do I view difficulties? How do I view trials and challenges? Do I view them as obstacles in my life, as destroyers of my life, as destroyers of my joy? Or do I view them as opportunities for my faith to be fortified and strengthened? Do I go through a difficult time or a difficult season, or do I look around at this world and see all the chaos and and say, oh man, things are bad. Things are bad. I'm so discouraged. Or do I say, God, I don't like this. I don't understand it. But do what you do because I submit to you. Work in my life. Work among us. Develop our faith so that we more clearly represent the image of your son in this world. You can decide. Tough times can either break you or they can build you into something that more and more represents the image of God's Son. Who, by the way, knew suffering very well. You know, I've heard some people say to others who are experiencing difficult times, just just get over it. Just, Just move on. Why can't you just move on? Why can't you just get over it? Why can't you just put it behind you? That's not what Peter's saying here, and that's not what this is about. It's not about getting over it. It's not about moving on. It's about making the difficult choice to let those trials, to let that suffering become the crucible in which the refiner's fire helps mold you and shape your faith. Struggles will either refine a real faith or they will reveal a superficial faith. If my faith is only nominal, if it's like a warm coat that I just want to put on sometimes to feel warm and cozy, then when those tough times come, you know what's going to happen. That pseudo-faith is going to crumble apart. But if I have taken ownership of my faith, 
I'm not trying to live out my parents' faith or my youth minister's faith or the preacher's faith or the elder's faith or my spouse's faith. If I've taken ownership of my faith and it is informed by the word and the will of God, then when tough times come, I may not enjoy it. I probably won't. Why would we? But I'll be looking for God to work in it and through it. And I'll be open to what he has in store for me. It's a consistent message throughout the New Testament. James writes in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God does good work in you. The Spirit does good work in you. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what do you really want in life? Ultimate happiness or true holiness? Because difficulties in life will work against happiness. We all know that's true. When you go through tough times, you aren't happy. Neither am I. And if happiness is my ultimate goal, then every time I go through a difficult time, every time I go through adversity, that happiness will be just drained from me. And I'll have to find some way to generate it back. I'll have to buy something or experience something or do something that this world offers me to try to get that happiness back. But if holiness is my ultimate goal, true holiness, then those tough times, they will fuel into developing that character, that perseverance, that holiness. It ultimately finds its culmination in us having what we need more than anything else. Verse 9, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that the most important thing? Not something that that boosts the economy. Not a job that boosts my self-esteem. Not a stimulus check. Or my preferred candidate in office or a political party, not the security of a healthy retirement plan, not even an easy life, but the salvation of our souls and the souls of those around us. That is what's most important. There are several versions of this story, but I I think it really illustrates the point Peter is making very well. In fact, it borrows his metaphor You see, one day a family went to visit a goldsmith to learn about the ancient art of refining gold. And the family stood and watched as the goldsmith sat nearby this fire. And into the glowing fire, he put the crucible with the gold and all of its impurities. And after a few minutes, he pulled it out and inspected it, looked at it, let it cool down and even felt of it a little bit. And then he put it back into the fire, but this time he made the fire a little bit hotter. And then he did the same thing. He pulled it out and looked at it. And every time he put it back in the fire, he made the fire hotter and hotter. And one of the children watching said, well, why don't you just make the fire as hot as it is now when you start? He said, well, it couldn't handle that much heat. He said, what would have destroyed it then helps it now and he continued to refine this gold and one of the other kids said well I have a question 
So how do you know when it's, when it's done? How do you know when it's refined? He said, I, I look at it. He said, when I see my reflection in it, I know it's refined. You can make the connection. The fires of life are not enjoyable. To pretend they are is just silly. It is difficult. It is painful. And yet it is through those fires where God sometimes does his most profound work in our hearts, in our lives, by refining our faith. And every time he looks at us, you know what he wants to see? Do you know what he's looking for? His reflection. As Roman 8 tells us, he is conforming us into the image of his son. And so, as you live out your life, as I live out my life, yes, we have to live somewhere in this world. And that means some things, doesn't it? It means we have to function in this world. It means we have choices to make. It means we are influenced, whether we like it or not, by this world. But this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven even now. And as citizens of heaven, we have a certain framework, a certain perspective, a worldview that informs how we live, how we view the world, how we respond when we're challenged, and certainly how we deal with this fallen world. So be the person God made you to be, a citizen of heaven. If you don't belong to Christ yet, if you haven't given your life, today's the day. Just simply allow God to move in you so that you say, I believe, and I want to give my life to him. I want to be baptized into Christ, confessing faith in Jesus. We can do that today. Or maybe we can pray for you and encourage you as you live as a citizen of heaven. Maybe you need to confess sin or ask for help. If you're at home watching online, you can go to our website, our prayer page. Please reach out to us. If you're here, you can come forward. Remember who you are. Remember, your heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus. If we can help you today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.